Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Chef Jane Wild from the Dunlavey coming up in a little bit, but first, I'm joined by my co-host this week, Matt Harris, a passionate advocate for the Houston food scene and frequent traveler. Matt, welcome back to the show. How are you? Doing well, sir. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Let's dive right into the news of the week, starting with some chefs on the move. Lyle Bento, formerly of Southern Goods, has been kind of biding his time as the head of catering for Chris Shepard's Underbelly Hospitality. He has a new gig. He is now the culinary director for Sandbrook's Management Company. That's the new hospitality group that is behind the pit room that recently acquired Lee's Fried Chicken and Donuts, Pie Pizza, and Starfish. Of course, I had Michael Sandbrook's, the owner of Sandbrook's Hospitality, on the show, and Steve Brinker, his director of operations recently. So I'm just going to say I've known Lyle for a long time. I knew Lyle when he was a sous chef at Underbelly. I followed the development of Southern Goods. It was a favorite of mine. Uh, I was sad that 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 a fire destroyed that restaurant and prevented it from being rebuilt. And I was happy for Lyle in a certain sense because I thought like working, working for Chris was kind of a nice homecoming for him, but I didn't expect him to serve Korean goat and dumplings at Texans games forever. This seems like a good move for him. What do you think? Uh, yes, certainly. I mean, certainly some opportunities there. Um, I think it's a good partnership. Uh, on on the other side of the coin, on Michael's side, they, you know, bringing someone in with of his caliber and experience. Yeah, I think for Michael, this is a no brainer, right? He gets yeah. someone who's uh, very talented, very ambitious, and pretty experienced in Lyle. And neither Michael nor Steve are really food people per se, right? When when Michael opened the pit room, he was working with. Uh, Chef Bramwell Tripp, you know, Steve had a bunch of his experience at Reef working for Brian Caswell. So they, those, they know, they know good food when they taste it and they probably have some ideas about how to make good food, but, you know, creating recipes, running a kitchen that that's not really their cup of tea. Right. And let's not forget the other piece of the equation. No, not, not at all. Not at all. Lyle, Lyle did not come to Sandbrook's hospitality alone. He brought J.D. Woodward with him. Uh, J.D. probably best known for working with Lyle as his as his chef de cuisine at Southern Goods. He he also worked at Underbelly. He was the chef at Goro and Gun back in the day, and most recently he was the chef at La Vista One Hundred and One. Uh, I call him. He's he's known affectionately in the restaurant industry as Nuge a nickname that Randy Rucker gave him a long time ago for reasons that if I have been told them, uh, I have forgotten them or sworn to silence either or, uh, or it may not be safe for radio. 
What was the podcast? We can we can say just about anything. Uh, but no, JD. I mean, JD is a is a really talented guy, and I think anyone who who ate his food at La Vista, uh, even though it didn't last very long, uh, that talent comes through. And of course, I you know, I still long for the days of the fat ass ham hock at Goro and Gun. So, well, um, let me put my two cents in for the uh, Tupac wings. Right. So so let me put it to you like this then. Whereas you might have been, what was your attitude about going back to Starfish since uh, Sandbrook's hospitality took it over before they hired Lyle and JD? Holding pattern. Now. Can't wait. Yeah, me neither. Yep. And they're doing this a really good deal. They've got, I want to say it's a six or seven course tasting menu that they're running Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays for 55 bucks that kind of shows some of the new flavors, some of the new ideas they're working on. I want to eat that tasting menu. Yes. Agreed. All right. So, and soon. Yeah, and soon. So we will we'll pinky swear to do that in the in the not too distant future and I'll I'll report back on how that goes on the podcast. Um but let us move on. Maurizio Ferrarese. I have no idea if I just said that right. It, it sounded great though. You were just in Italy. How'd it sound? It sounded like Italy. All right. Beautiful. Maybe a little Maurizio. (laughs) Maurizio has left Sud Italia. Maurizio. And is now the executive chef uh, for the Hotel Granduca and Restaurante Cavour. Let me start with this. Have you ever eaten at Restaurante Cavour? I have. Okay, because I have not. Yes. How Uh, would you describe it? Um, I would describe it as, as sort of classical European. Um, it was back when Renato de Pira, Piro, excuse me, was a chef there who has since moved on to the Lombardi group. Um, but had some really good meals there. Um, and I think this, uh, this move sort of opens the door up to, to returning. Yeah. Maurizio did good work at Quattro in the Four Seasons. And we actually had lunch at Sud Italia back in August and had a really nice meal. We did. Houston Restaurant Weeks went for lunch. It was very good. I would say that's true for most of my meals at Sud Italia, um, but uh, particularly enjoyed that one. Right. There are relatively few Italian chefs serving Italian food in Houston. This is true. And he is he is one of them, and he he's He's good. He's a he's a good. He's a talented guy. He's a nice guy for whatever that's worth. Right. Well, yeah, it's worth something. Yeah. So, I mean, it it's not worth much if the food isn't good, but it, it's nice. It's nice when the food is good and the guy is nice. Right. So, but yes, I think this will get me. Finally, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to Cavour. I think because I because I always like Maurizio's cooking and I want to know what he's up to. Yeah, and it's it's the kind of place. It, it's definitely different. It's a it's a different atmosphere, in a good way, um, you know. And then it's you can go in and it's it's sort of a quiet atmosphere. Like I said, kind of reminds me kind of classical European, white tablecloth, nice for a date, you know, maybe right some Fine friends dining. in around a town, right? Right. I mean, so that was the nice thing about. Maurizio at Sud Italia is that it's a it's a pretty affordable restaurant. Right. You know, Quattro expensive, 
Kevor will be expensive. I like getting his his cuisine and you know for under a hundred bucks for two people. But oh well, should have taken more advantage of that when I had the chance. Uh, and and worth noting that that Sudetalia is going to be okay. They promoted their longtime sous chef to be the new executive chef. Yes. So, and Shannon Scott is still there and Shannon it's Shannon's restaurant and he's got like a pretty clear vision of what Sudetalia is and what Sudetalia isn't. So I, I think Sudetalia is going to be just fine. I agree. Uh, yeah. Like I said, I mean that, uh, um, most of my experiences there have been, been overly positive. Good. All right. Topic number three. Mendocino Farms, the SoCal-based sandwich shop, has confirmed the long-standing rumors that they're coming to Houston, starting with Uptown Park in the spring and then Rice Village in the spring-summer kind of ballpark. Matt, let me let me start with the obvious. Have you have you been to a Mendocino Farms? I have not. I haven't either. Did you look at the menu for Mendocino Farms? I did. And? It, uh, it has the feels of a healthier East Hampton, maybe with a little better bread options. Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. Creative sandwich combinations. I, I mean, this is, this is kind of a running debate in the Houston food community, which is that we don't have any good sandwiches. Now, now I am on, I am of the opinion that that opinion is is maybe not uh, is overstated. We we maybe we don't have enough good sandwiches. But but where do you where do you come in on that? Well, any may not be uh, I I think that there's a void in in the sandwich. There's a deficit. There's a that's a yes, a deficit. Good word for it. Um just having looked at the menu and and read a little bit about it, do you feel like East, uh, excuse me, Mendocino Farms is poised to help alleviate that deficit. I'm not sure. Um, uh, it's, uh, you know, I will say I enjoy East Hampton. Um, I don't know that it's a good, like a capital G good sandwich, uh, but they do enough things well. The chips, particularly the house-made chips, are very good with the capital G. Um, Those cold steak sandwiches at, at East Hampton are at least pretty good with a capital P, capital G. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're going <laughs> to... Oh, yeah. We're doing that now. Um, but the... Uh, um, so probably yes, but I don't, I don't know. I, I, I would say... If you would have asked me six months ago about East Hampton, I've probably eaten more, eaten there more than I thought I would. Um, but uh, we'll uh, we'll see. I, I did. I I took the opportunity to sort of check with my small but mighty coterie of friends in L.A. and none of them had been there either. L.A. is a big place, but they have several locations. Right. Okay. Yeah. See, I think. See, I think I'm maybe more traditional Houstonian in the sense that the times when I could typically go out for a sandwich, I am more likely to just get a burger. That well, I, that that makes sense, right? And in Houston, no shortage of burger options, so I, you know, I just cycle through 
no shortage of good burger options. Right. Yeah. Right. So I just cycle through those before I before I crave a sandwich. And I never want a sandwich for dinner. That's one of those things. But but people, you know, salads, sandwiches, you know, people like that kind of healthy eating thing. So and and it seems like they source well, as far as I can right. tell. Right. You know. So that that counts for something. Yeah. It it yeah, no, it's it's again certainly um give them a fair chance like i said i uh have eaten at east hampton more than i thought i would and um but i would like i i I look forward to just a really killer sandwich shop all right topic number four finn hall the downtown food hall i think it feels like we've been talking about this forever and we have because it's been over a year in development. It's finally going to open Monday, December 3rd. There's a good mix of stuff coming, right? New outposts of Dish Society, Good Company Taqueria, Mala Sichuan, uh, a coffee shop from the owner of Catalina Coffee, Max Gonzalez, new stuff uh, or first brick and mortar locations from Oddball Eats and Craft Burger. Uh, a new Vietnamese concept called Sitlo, a Korean bowl concept called Yong from Daniel Ajtai, who was at LaGrange and Cottonwood for a long time. So there's a lot to like. Oh, and and uh, Low Tide, the seafood concept from Ali Jarrett, the owner of Harold's and Heights. Dish societies. Yes, and, dish, and, and another dish society. Yeah. All right, so that's 10 plus uh, a beer and wine bar, plus a cocktail bar, all in 20,000-plus square feet in the heart of downtown. What do you think? Um, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I think they'll get a strong uh, lunch crowd. Curious to see what happens for dinner during the week. Um, it's... Uh, you know, as someone who's kind of been a big proponent of of food halls and, and concept just feels a little mainstream for me, but I think they'll do well. Yeah, I think if, well, so I, I think to your point, I think if you're a downtown office worker, this is great news, right? Your lunch options are about to get exponentially better especially if you're a short walk from uh, the Chase Tower where this uh, food hall is, where Finn Hall is located. Because let's, you know, it's been, it's been many years since I have worked downtown, but my recollection is that the average quality of the food in most of the tunnels was pretty bad. And I think this will be substantially better than that. As a dinner proposition, I think it's a little trickier because why would I go into downtown to that good company when I could just go to the good company at Kirby and West Park or one of their two new kitchen and cantina locations? Why would I go to that Dish Society or that Mala instead of, you know, Mala Montrose or Dish Society Briargrove or the new Dish Society in the Heights is getting ready to open pretty soon? So 
Yeah, I think that part's a tougher sell. But I am intrigued by a couple of these new concepts, especially Yong, just because I don't feel like there's still like Korean food outside of Long Point is still not really a thing here. And just for novelty's sake, I'm down with the bibimbap bowl, maybe. I don't know if but I don't know if that's like a buying decision for me, right? Like talk about mm-hmm. talk about a dinner craving like if if I were already at Finn Hall, I might go to Yong. Would I go to Finn Hall just to go to Yong? I, I won't know until I actually get the chance to taste some of this stuff. No, I think so. I mean, they, look, they've done a, a, a good job. The, the uh, existing concepts that they have are all very successful. Um, and uh, I think that they will be um, in Finn Hall as well. Uh, Yong is the one, both Yong and Sitlo are the ones that, that kind of pique my interest. Um, and, you know, that's, uh, at the end of the day, they're going, I, I think that they are going to be successful. Um, just uh, a little mainstream for me in terms of kind of that food hall concept. But, um, right. Like I, I saw Shannon Toon, the owner of Kraft Burger, this weekend at the Oxtail Mashup, and he was there with his wife, who's Jamaican. They're working together on a Caribbean concept for the Railway Heights food hall that's going to open up sometime next year. Like, I, I, you know, no disrespect to Kraft Burger, which, which I have eaten and which, which is a very tasty burger. But as we were just saying, there's a lot of really good burger options in Houston already. I am personally more curious about the Caribbean concept because there's less of that. 100%. 110%. But I don't think the operators of Finn Hall are going to be as adventurous as to be like, oh yeah, come do this totally new thing with no branding and no social media presence and no, you know, no following in our food hall, right? They want the burger. Well, and to their, I mean, you know, to their credit, I guess they've done some of that with Yong and Sitlo, which interestingly enough are the ones that I'm interested in. Right. Well, and they're but and they're within kind of a familiar, right? I, I think it makes sense for a food hall, especially in Houston, to have a Vietnamese component, and the Korean. I'm, you know, I, I think Daniel's a pretty again. I think Daniel's a pretty talented guy. The food at Cottonwood and Lagrange, at least in my limited encounters with it, was better than I expected it to be, and so, you know, I think they're taking a chance on a guy more than a more than a concept. Sure. Sure. And, and, you know, if you go back, you know, we've talked about, about this on the podcast a couple, three or four months ago, and it's kind of the same opinion. It's like, you know, they've got some really solid existing um, establishments and for the downtown uh, lunch crowd, it's going to be great. Uh, am I going to go there to uh, yes, but to your point, am I gonna, is it going to be a big enough draw for me to go down there for dinner or on the weekends is kind of TBD. Yeah. I think it kind of depends what else you have going on. Like, you know, before a Rockets game, maybe, you know, before an Astros game or after an Astros game, I could certainly see it, you know, in, in those kind of contexts, I think it does make sense as like a Wednesday night, weeknight dinner destination that's yeah i mean i don't really go to conservatory so i'm not really sure that i will want to go to 
Finn Hall instead. Like if I were already going to conservatory, if that were already in my rotation on a regular basis, then I would think, oh, well, maybe some of those visits will go to Finn Hall instead. But since I'm not doing the one, I, you know, honestly, it will depend on the parking. Parking's Is the parking convenient? Is it inexpensive? Because that's one of the things that holds me back from going to conservatory more often is if I can't get street parking, the, the above ground lot parking is pricey and throws off the economics of the meal, right? Part of the appeal of going to a food hall is that it's inexpensive. So if I have to spend 10 or more dollars on parking on a weeknight, that probably kills it that, for me. That, that probably ruins it. Right. It, in me, yeah. I mean, that's is, is part of it is just, sort of educated consumer and, and with a conservatory, which I've been to uh, a fair number of times. There is, uh, I struggle to think of a time when, when it wasn't crowded, sometimes almost standing room only. So yeah, th- yeah, my my reticence is not reflective of its economic prospects. Right. Conservatory is busy. And po- I mean, Linda Salinas was saying on the show a couple of weeks ago, she likes going there late night because it's a better option than fast food, right? If she's getting off a shift, you know, to go get a bowl of pho um, or a barbecue sandwich is, is much more appealing than some of the other options available at, at late hours. Certainly. And, and I still think that there's, you know, a draw for this sort of concept where you can go somewhere, you could go somewhere with four people and each of you can get something different and then sit down at a table and eat together. Yes. I mean, I had that experience. I've, I've talked about this before. I had that experience in Dallas. I went with my family. You know, I got something. I got soup dumplings. My brother-in-law and his sons got pizza. My sister got a salad. My mom got a sandwich, you know, and then we all got, we got four different desserts to share for the table from two different vendors. So that's all. Yes. That aspect of food hall dining is very appealing. If you're with a group of people and nobody really knows what they want, you will find, especially at, at Finn Hall where you have 10 options, everybody's going to find something. Yeah. All right. That does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Matt, for our restaurants of the week, I want to talk about two newly opened establishments. One is Diana American Grill in the Hobby Center. And the other is BB Lemon on Washington Avenue. Let's start with Diana American Grill. This is, as I was saying, the new restaurant in the Hobby Center. They have contracted with Robert Del Grande, the chef owner of Cafe Annie, to give them kind of a like a fresh take on uh, a theater district restaurant. Robert kind of looked into this. He he pulled some of his own memories from California and and dining in New York. And he basically came up with an Italian-inspired steakhouse concept. Would you would you agree with me that that's a pretty accurate description of the food at uh, Diana? Yeah, I think so. With with a little bit of a uh, Gulf Coast flair. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, you know, and Robert Robert's sort of approach to all this is pretty simple. He basically said, "We're going to buy good ingredients and try not to mess them up." And I would say, based on our meal they use good ingredients and they don't mess it up. I think so. I th- and, you know, in, in talking with him and what he was trying to achieve, I think the menu represents that. Um, you know, I, I, uh, enjoyed our, our 
meal there. As much as any anything, I'm a fan of Robert Del Grande, so I think that was a a uh, a win, if you will, for the Hobby Center. Um, you know that lobster orichiette we had was really tasty, and the steak. Can we talk about the steak for a second? We can definitely talk about the steak. Wow. <laughs> yeah, he's buying a high-quality, I want to say it was an upper-choice ribeye, but he's, and he's making this really great steak sauce with it. But, you know, they just they season it right, they cook it medium-rare, and it's, I mean, ribeyes are delicious. What's not to like? It, uh, yeah, it, it, that, that was just kind of, I, I don't know that I was expecting that when, when we, uh, you know, when we talked about going there and I, uh, literally could not stop eating it. That sort of garlic confit sauce that they had on it. It was really delicious. It, it, it's something that, and, and I think as we discussed that day, I would go back for whether I was going to the theater or not. Yeah, I think that's that really is the only kind of bummer about the food at Diana is that it's only available. It's available at lunch as kind of an, as an upscale lunch option, and it's available at dinner only when there are shows in the theater, which means you're competing for tables with all the people going to the show that night. Uh, you're also competing for parking with all the people going to the shows that night which is not necessarily ideal, but yeah, I think judge based on just solely on the, the quality of the food and, and how pretty that room is. It's a place that I would happily go back to. Yeah. If you, I think if you're going to the theater, then because you, a lot of those sort of obstacles, if you will, are already removed, then you should plan on going to Diana. Go early. Give yourself some time so you can experience the full menu. Don't go at seven o'clock for a seven thirty show. Um, but uh, it, you know, and the, and the menu, it, or or the experience, really sort of piqued my curiosity enough that I want to go back and see kind of where the menu goes. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, you really like the steak. I really liked the veal chop, which they do kind of. Um, I almost butterfly it. Well, no, they do. They they butterfly it. I was just trying to think of the name of the, the sauce, the kind of lemon butter. Yes. Italian, you know, with with the artichokes in it. Um, you know, they bread it. They they butterfly it. They bread it. They fry it a little. They kind of pan fry it. Um, but it's kind of a it's it's not a fresh take. It's it's a really classic take on a, on a way to serve veal. But it's a it's a really delicious, way to serve veal. And and it was a dish I enjoyed. And of course that. That you mentioned that lobster pasta, but it, but it comes with like a whole lobster in it, uh, and they make the sauce with the lobster stock, and so it's just infused with like lobstery flavor, and and again, like it's just there was some ricotta, yeah, a little bottom. bit of ricotta in the bottom, and and the quality of that pasta is really good, and and it's just it's a very satisfying bowl of food, you know, in a setting where culinary excellence is not always the expectation but but it's worth it's it's worth spending the money and taking the and getting the show early enough to take the time to have a proper meal there i think that that was my point 100 percent. all right 
And then BB Lemon. This is the new casual concept from B&B Butchers owner Ben Berg. It is conveniently located across the street from B&B Butchers in a space that used to be called the Caddy Shack. Uh, I never went to the Caddy Shack, but I'm going to take Ben Berg at his word when he says that uh, this looks uh, both very different and much better. It has a it has kind of a a long shotgun kind of feel with a a bar up front and a a dining room a kind of intimate dining room in the back and then a huge patio kind of backyard situation going on out to the side. In terms of the food, it's just you know burgers, sandwiches, really casual stuff. Seafood. Matt, what do you think of BB Lemon? Uh, I think Mr. Berg is onto something. Yeah, I, and and I guess I this is confession time for me. I I had kind of low expectations for this, and I don't think that's really fair to Ben Berg because B and B Butchers is very good, and I think he has now set a certain expectation for the work that he does in restaurants that they're going to be pretty good. Uh, and this is the kind of place where, you know, I could go have a a $12 cheeseburger and some of those cottage fries on a semi-regular basis. And it's going to be open late enough on the weekends, uh, that it's appealing. I will say, I think the, the two best things we ate were those blue crab beignets, uh, kind of crab meat on a crab claw that's battered and fried. And then, uh, the fish and chips, which. I just feel like there's just not a lot of really great fish and chip options in Houston. I, I kind of default to good dog, hot dog is my fish and chips go to, but I thought the version at BB lemon was nice. Like the crust was flaky. Um, the fish was well cooked. It was moist. I, you know, I, again, I think, I think they're really onto something with BB lemon. Yeah. It's, um, it's, I think it starts with the menu. Um, you know, it's just, it's very straightforward, uh, and it's something that um, you could go in a lot of different moods. If you wanted to go for, you know, soup and salad, you could do that. If you want to go for a burger, you could do that. If you want to go for, you know. If you want to go for a $38 lobster roll, then God bless you. I mean, I'm not going to, but but you you can. And I have some confidence that it would be pretty good. I just, I'm just sort of opposed morally to paying $38 for a lobster roll. Well, I'll, I'll put myself out there. If anyone wants to go and split the $38 lobster roll, let me know. <laughs> At that guy Houston on Twitter, you can you can, <laughs> you can can slide in Matt's DMs and hit him up for splitting a $40 lobster roll. It, 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 to, to be fair, it may take me a while to get back to you. My DMs are packed with these sort of opportunities. <laughs> um. But you'll go back to BB Lemon. Uh, you know, I, I was I was really uh, impressed. I walked out of there just like this is, uh, you know, it's just simple, straightforward. Everything that we had, I thought, was really well. The beignets definitely stood out. The fish and chips stood out. The burger was solid. Um, banana pudding was good. The banana pudding was very good. You can also take that away, which I thought was clever. Um, Even the lemonade was good. The the lemonade it was super tart nice and, and refreshing and tasty. Yeah, um, that uh, you know I just left there thinking you know here's a place that I could go in you know three or four or five different moods um, and it uh, 
I, I give him credit. So I, I, yeah, I got uh, quite a few comments actually on Instagram when posting the burger and he talked about going for the, uh, kind of a New York diner feel. And, um, a couple of my friends from New York actually asked if that was the, uh, thought I was in New York and thought that was the JG Mellon burger. Well, it, it is an homage to the JG Mellon burger. Certainly. You know, the, the thing is I put it on my Instagram story. The thing I got the most comments about was the schnitzel. People were really intrigued by that schnitzel with the uh, spetzel on top. So I, who knew there's a deficit of quality schnitzel options in Houston, apparently. Or you just wanted to say the word schnitzel. Schnitzel. <laughs> Capital S. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. So hats off to, to uh, Mr. Berg. And uh, I, I will, um, I'm happy to have that as a dining option. All right. And I thought the space was really well done, too. It looks great. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. All right. That does it for the restaurants of the week. Matt, thanks very much for being here. You're welcome. And I'll be right back with Chef Jane Wild. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? I'm joined by Chef Jane Wild, the relatively new executive chef at the Dunleavy, part of the Clark Cooper family of restaurants. Jane, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Yeah. I always like to start these kind of at the beginning. So tell me a little bit about how you got interested in cooking professionally. Well, um, I would take it back to growing up with a home ec teacher. My mom um, had me on a stool in the kitchen as a little girl. Um, and then I have an entrepreneurial spirit. So when I was in um, high school, I wanted to go to Washington and I wanted to go on a trip in Europe. And um, at that time, I was involved in a ton of extracurricular activities and getting a job didn't make sense as far as my schedule went. So I got really creative and I opened up Sunshine uh, Cookie Company and I started baking um, and earned my way to Washington, D.C., selling cookies to bank meetings or um, the um, board meetings at the school and anyone who wanted cookies, I had cookies. And then um, I saw my FFA friends raising animals. And um, so that got me really interested in the whole life of an animal from the beginning to selling it and then uh, the butchery process and then eating it at the end. So um, I raised some sheep and got grand champion at, in San Jacinto County and uh, I earned my way to Europe and then came back um, and got a full ride for theater started that in college and realized I don't think I want to do this for the rest of my life. I love the stage though and I love art and culture so um, one of my friends said hey you should go check out the Art Institute in Houston and see uh, if you fit in any of those categories. So exploring each floor I walked onto the culinary floor and I saw all the chefs um, and I said this is it and I have never looked back. Um, I went to the Art Institute, uh, graduated, um, and then took off to Chicago. And my goal in Chicago was to um, get into Charlie Trotter's and whatever it meant. If that meant scrubbing the copper pots or mopping the floor, I was going to do it. So I got in and ended up doing a lot of prep. And then um, 
ran out of money and uh, Whole Foods Market raised me. And I jumped in and with Whole Foods Market and their uh, culinary team and became a regional chef within just a few months of working there, created programs and um, the love for natural foods came from growing up in a small town, homic teacher, um, we had a garden, we had friends that shared the garden, um, and then Whole Foods Market, their values went right with mine, all natural, um, sustainable. So I uh, did that in Chicago for a while and then um, realized I wanted to raise my son not in Chicago. So we moved to the West Coast, to Portland, Oregon, and um, and I think that's where I really fell in love with local and sustainable and farm to table uh, because it is, it's in the water there. Yeah. So did you work at restaurants? Is that when you like hopped kind of back into restaurants from grocery stores or were you still I, with Whole Foods? Still with Whole Foods. They were looking for a culture warrior because going um, the lifestyle of what Whole Foods, the natural and organic foods is, like I said, in the water. So they were looking for someone who believed in the values that Whole Foods had. Not only was it an all-natural grocery store, but also the supporting the um, um, local economy and then where we pull from with the Whole Planet Foundation and um, cooking naturally, no synthetic foods, no synthetic colors, no artificial flavors. Uh, loved all of that. Um, and anyway, that was cr my crazy passion. And finding those local um, artisans to bring in to the store was also another one of my passions. Um, and um, I left Whole Foods and started working for Grand Central Bakery. So that's when I kind of went back into the restaurant industry, the love for baking and the whole um, baker's life, for sure. Okay, so then how did you make your way to Tomball? Because when I met you for the first time, <laughs> you had a, a cafe, Jane and John Doe, yeah. that, that had, I mean, well, it, it, it was doing a lot of different things, but it, it had... It it had the distinct feeling of like having been imported from a city like Portland into Tomball, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of fresh baked goods, Stumptown coffee, which I don't think there was any place else in Houston that was serving Stumptown at the no. time. And, and there may not still be. Yeah, I think every once in a while it pops into common bond in their rotation, but I don't know anyone else who does. But um, yeah, how did I get here? My parents uh, live on Lake Livingston. And so um, when my son turned, I'm a single mom. And when my son turned 10, I had this epiphany of as a chef, uh, you work on the holidays and all the time. And um, I pretty much had nannies and friends raising my son. And so uh, I was trying to find a way, how can I be mom, be a chef, and uh, be in his life at the same time? So my parents said, come, come back and we'll support you and you can figure it out. So I uh, took the leap, came here, um, uh, Max and I were talking, we were going to the farmer's markets um, here in Houston, trying to keep that rhythm of our week. Every Saturday we were at the PSU farmer's market in Portland and we would gather everything we want to. And that farmer's market is just unreal. And so trying to keep that rhythm every Saturday, we started going to the Tomball farmer's market. And I saw they were missing the 
the you know the fire baked bagels and the amazing baskets of breads and things that we loved and pies. So um, Max and I were talking about possibly just starting baking at the farmer's market. And then um, I was introduced to John Blankmeyer and um, he was also trying to get back into, or he was trying to get back into the culinary world after being in the military. And he said, how about if we join together and start a business? And he said, this might be too, too soon. And I was like, I have, I have no fear. I was like, let's do it. Come on. I have got tons of ideas and no fear. Let's go for it. So we started off at the farmer's market with uh, his Philly pretzels, my pies and baked goods, and Max was there. And then the next thing you know, we had the little um, uh, bungalow and we brought my love for Portland and the West Coast coffee. And then that feel of farm to table and then community. We brought the beehive in on the property and started the salted honey pie, which I brought you today. And um, uh, yeah, just, it went from there. And uh, people were hungry for that sense of community, knowing the person behind the counter and their barista in that part of the world. And uh, we were loved in lines every Saturday. Yeah, I mean, you, it, it kind of became this cult thing. <laughs> uh, I mean, at, at least like enough to have hit my radar and that, that, you know, I had family living in the Woodlands at the time. And so I routed to Tomball on my way to the Woodlands to check you guys out. And I remember having like a mind-blowingly good pumpkin pie with like toasted pepitas on it. Mm-hmm. And there's just, you know, I mean, there's just not a lot of that. Yeah. In Houston. Yeah. Um, but so I guess you, so how did that kind of come to an end? I guess not, not to be like, or, or what made it seem like the time had come to, to maybe move on from that? Well, um, I was looking for more growth, um, personally and also wanting to be the chef versus the entire entrepreneur. So, um, an amazing opportunity came and, um, I had a quick conversation on the phone, and the next thing I knew, uh, Grant and Charles and Mark and uh, Joe Sepp were in the dough house, and then um, the next thing I knew, I had a meeting at the Dunleavy, and when I walked in the Dunleavy, I was like, whoa, this is magical and eclectic, and I can just imagine what the menu could possibly be here. Um, there's a great chef team that was already there, and I became part of that chef team, and then... Um, a uh, couple of opportunities came up and then um, I was offered the, um, I worked my tush off every day and for the events. And then the next thing I knew, um, positive attitude, hard work, passion for food, um, excited about new things and no fear. Um, I was offered uh, the opportunity to run the kitchen. So, I, I mean, if I, if I, admittedly, it's been a while since I've been to the Dunleavy, but I think of it as kind of a, you know, a breakfast and lunch spot. Yeah. Um, it's got that really pretty dining room with all those chandeliers. Oh, I mean, you know, Grant Cooper, he's got, that guy's got great taste. He does. But uh, at least from a, as a food destination, I, I don't think I would, I would consider it that. So. Yeah. I was like, I immediately wanted uh, the food to reflect 
the um, beauty of looking out the windows and then the antique chandeliers and sitting at that eclect- those eclectic tables as a community. Like I wanted the food to be shareable and a part of Houston and um, diverse, not something simple. Um, the vision is West Coast. And so coming here from Portland, man, I, I have a million ideas on what we can do. And the basic is starting with everything handmade and knowing where every ingredient comes from and not being afraid to take a lot of time to make something. So what are some of the dishes you've put on the menu that kind of reflect that ethos? So um, we brought in, well, first of all, we, when you walk in uh, into the dining room, you're greeted with the chandeliers, the beautiful view, and then we have the entire bar is now full of baked goods. So you're immediately enticed by beautifully naturally leavened breads and laminated doughs and whatever the season is, we're reflecting that. And like right now it's pie season. So our pies are sitting on the, on the counter. And then um, you look at the menu and we've got the toast is all comes from sourdough. So we've got a multigrain sourdough and we have the traditional country sourdough and we made an avocado tartine with that, which is traditional for brunch uh, right now in our culinary world. But we use uh, Whitehurst Heritage uh, farm veggies on top of the avocado toast. Uh, So it changes daily depending upon what we can get from Mike. And um, so that's not a change, but not a not something I added to the menu, but just a change to really make it have that West Coast feel with the nooks and crannies on the bread and a lot of flavor. And then um, we added the shashuka, which is an amazing North African um, dish. And we have za'atar pita that goes with that. But it's a great dish that you can share with people or you can enjoy by yourself. We have an amazing um, that Houston Press gave us a little uh, love for our porchetta sandwich. Um, we have an amazing turkey BLT with roasted tomatoes. Yeah, because Matt and I were just talking earlier on the show, like, there's not a lot of great sandwiches in this town. Yeah. So what are you what are you doing to make to make the sandwiches stand out? Because I, I mean, there, there's like a, there's like an underground group of food partisans that are just like <laughs> waiting to embrace a good sandwich. Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, it starts with great bread. And uh, we're working right now with the Breadman Company. Um, they're doing amazing things with naturally leavened breads. Um, their head baker, uh, is, uh, Desiree, is really amazing. Um, and she comes from Colorado, so she's got a great background. Um, so excited about what they're doing and their ciabatta is unreal. So any of the sandwiches that we have with that ciabatta bread, I mean, grab it. We, uh, also are, we source all of our meats locally and then we roast it in house. Uh, we use a rotisserie to roast, um, those meats. Then the, uh, porchetta we marinate, um, and then we have, um, fennel pollen and a little bit of soy sauce and then we roast that till it's uh, the chicharron is crunchy and then we have uh, west coast hazelnuts and parsley and then an amazing uh, caper mayonnaise but the sandwich starts with the the bread and then uh, just coming together with uh, creativity with a great spread tomatoes 
can be hit or miss as far as flavor goes. So we make sure that we marinate each slice and then roast it to bring out the most intense flavor we can in any tomato we use. And then um, I love the sweetness of caramelized onions. So we throw that on our sandwiches as well. Cool. And then, I, I mean, I, I remember driving past the Dunleavy when it opened and there were lines out the door during brunch. Is it still like that? Is that, is it, are you still, you still like a, a brunchy hotspot? Absolutely. Yes. What are you, so what are you doing at brunch to, to keep the crowds coming? Um, I think it's uh, the constant change. Like uh, it's it's never the same when they come in, um, and I think that people are really excited about that. Um, uh, all the girls for Instagram making sure that the food looks beautiful. So we have those watermelon radishes. We have the microgreens, the cute poached eggs. You know, all of that looks so good next to their mimosa. Um, we also have warmed up some of the plating on wood and not just the metal plates. So uh, we added a lot of color with uh, our frika salad and pomegranates right now. Yeah. So color and making it exciting. And then what's it like working with? Um, Charles and Grant, because I mean, you know, you talk about two guys who've kind of seen it all, you know, certainly they're uh, very veteran operators. What's that, what's that been like for you? The one thing I love about them the most is how much they appreciate our hard work. Um, and uh, they have a ton of ideas. And so just getting the flood of their ideas and filtering it through the entire leadership team and then figuring it out, figuring out exactly what they're saying for their vision. Um, it's, it's just this collective collaborative teamwork with them for sure. So is there like, is there like one idea that maybe they gave you that you were sort of skeptical of, but you were surprised by how it, how well it came together? Oh, absolutely. He wanted to put a cheeseburger on the, on the menu and uh, he wanted it to be just the traditional American cheese, great bun, um, amazing French fries. And yeah, I love, I love all that. I tend to lean towards the kale salad side, but um, uh, I, was, I was like, ah, really? Okay. 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 We put it on the menu and uh, that's probably uh, it's hit the most. We have, we sell a ton of hamburgers. So great idea. <laughs> um, so now that you've been there for a few months and you've, you've had a chance to kind of put your stamp on the menu, like what are your goals? Like how do you see it growing over the next six months to a year? Um, definitely bringing in um, someone who does pastries and cakes. We um, are really excited about the bake side of it. Uh, our baked goods um, are s selling like crazy, and you get a great latte and a great baked good. That's a great spot to go to. Um, also, just keeping up with the seasons. Um, I, that's probably my favorite thing. As the seasons change, the menu changes. And then... Um I don't just want to dwell on the Dunleavy because you've been, you've been getting involved. I mean, one of the nice things about coming in from Tomball to Houston is that it feels like you're maybe more a part of the local chef community now. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're, you're wearing a butcher's ball shirt Yeah. and you, uh, you hosted an all have what she's having event already. Yes. So what's that been like kind of getting to know some of the other chefs in town that maybe you you hadn't had contact with before? Well, the most exciting thing is I think um, most of the chefs I've had a connection through the dough house and now I'm getting to work with them almost weekly or monthly, getting to visit with them, go in and hang out with them, them come 
to the Dunleavy and hang out. But um, it's so easy to collaborate. Um, very exciting. And like I said, I have no fear to introduce myself or, or uh, want to get to know you. Um, I'm, I'm just so excited. It, it's in me, like, so excited to be at work every day. And when I'm not there, I'm thinking about it. But then to jump in with, I'll have what she's having and make a huge impact, not just be um, a be um, supporting the the community by buying local, but to be able to give back to um, people for health, you know, women, especially being a woman chef myself, giving back to women for the health care, and then to meet Dawn and get to work with Jill uh, and get to host them in my kitchen. I mean, it was a crazy honor. I'm so honored to be here in the city. Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've had uh, Lori at Joy and, and Aaron Smith on, to talk about I'll have what she's having a little bit, but it's been a while. So, so just kind of what, what is it about that organization for you specifically that's, that's been so appealing? Yeah, well, um, the biggest appeal is uh, the fact that it's an organization of women restaurateurs and uh, business professionals along with physicians. And we're all working together um, to be an impact on healthcare for women in the industry and beyond. The, um, so all the volunteers, the bartenders, the volunteers, the kitchen, everyone, uh, most of them are women. I would say 99, 98% are women. And um, this last event, uh, we raise money for the Shades of Blue project, and that was uh, amazing. It's an amazing documentary that's coming out to talk about um, the uh, postpartum depression. And um, one ticket to our dinner pays for paid for three visits for counseling for a woman after that may be suffering from postpartum depression. So. Uh, making that that alone made a huge impact. We raised eight thousand five hundred dollars for that organization. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, and then finally, I, I, I should give you the chance to, uh, to do a little business on behalf of the Dunleavy. So, tell me about your Thanksgiving offerings because I know that's a. That's a big push. Yeah, we're so excited. Um, we've joined with Whitehurst Heritage Farms, um, Jason Kerr with um, Farms Table, and um, uh, Breadman uh, is going to be supplying the Parker House rolls. But we are uh, creating this amazing local feast handmade by uh, the chefs of the Dunleavy. I have an amazing chef team that... Uh, I recognize all the time, Allie and Will, hey out there. And um, we are working together to create something really special, unique, um, local on your table to be able to share with your family and friends. Um, we're doing all the hard work and then you'll get to uh, present the beauty. <laughs> you get to take all the credit. Yeah, do it. Um, well, Jane, I have to say that that brings me to the end of, of most of my questions, unless there's some aspect of, of your your current career that, that you want to talk about before I turn you loose? Well, I'm just so excited to be a part of uh, the Houston chef community and I can't wait to work with more chefs. Cool. Well, all right, before I let you go, we have to do the lightning round. Okay. Five easy questions, five short answers. Right on. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Chef Jane Wild, what's your favorite ingredient? Butter. <laughs> what is the first band you ever saw in concert? The Breeders. <laughs> oh, Kim. What is your... Fast food guilty pleasure. It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Oh, I don't eat fast food. I'm sorry. 
I always ask people who their favorite Houston sports figure is, past or present. Ooh, maybe Akeem Olajuwon? It's a good answer. Yeah. And then finally, where's your favorite place to get a taco? Oh, I have a 14-year-old, and we go to Velvet Taco. He loves nice. the creativity. Um, yeah, give us the website for the Dunleavy and how to follow you on Instagram and all that stuff. Yeah, www.thedunlevy.com. And uh, you can follow us at uh, Dunlevy Houston on Instagram. And if you want to follow my journey, uh, Jane and the Lion. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. You can follow me on Twitter at eSandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.